And there was this lady who had had an abortion 20 years earlier. And when she started learning that she could be free, live in freedom and not be just consumed with the guilt and the, the horrible realization of what you've done, she just broke down and she said, why 20 years? I don't understand why God wouldn't have caused me to learn this a long time ago. And I just, my heart broke for her because she had suffered with this before she found healing and freedom for 20 years. And it just made me all the more astounded that God would just a year later put me in a place to receive that healing and that freedom that I know I didn't deserve. Because I will tell you, when I was a teenager, I had an older relative who had had an abortion. And she shared with me that she did. And she said, if you ever know anybody who's thinking about it, please talk them out of it. It's terrible. It's terrible. And so I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that. You know, and I would never do that. And here I was just a handful of years later. And I did something that I knew, had told myself I would never do. And yet you're in that situation and you make a very bad decision. That again, I want to reiterate, is one of the worst things that you can do to a woman. Yet I'm so grateful, so grateful to God that there is help and healing and you don't have to live um, and suffering for that or, or any other bad decision that we've made. I think we deal with guilt and maybe Christians are even worse about it. Maybe just certain Christians, maybe it's just me um, who've had to really work with managing guilt properly. Um, and not letting it thrive in our lives. Um, but, you know, when you know when you know that you don't do something, you shouldn't do something and that it's wrong and you do it anyway, then even the guilt is harder, uh, a bigger thing to deal with. So I'm just this amazed at God's goodness to me. back to Mind the Gap. Today, we have a very special guest on, and that is my mother. Well, she's very special to me, and by the end of this, she'll be special to you too, I'm sure. <laughs> she's um, my mom and Malika's second mom, right? Yeah, she's my mama Lisa. <laughs> and we brought Which is her my on. honor. <laughs> you have a lot of second children. I, I do, just, and I love that. I just keep bringing people into your life like, here, you can have another child. Um, <laughs> uh, I brought her on today because, I mean, I'm her daughter, and I know a lot about her life. She shared a lot with me and and um, how she grew up. And since we've been sharing people's testimonies, she is someone who is definitely worth sharing her life story. and where she is now and how she even got there by the grace of God. And that story of grace and freedom is not only inspiring, but God glorifying. And, um, so 
mother. Thank you for being here and taking time out of your day to share your life with us. And just to get started, I would ask you to just describe yourself to someone, you know, as if you're meeting them for the first time for our listeners who have never heard about you before. And, you know, as if you're meeting a friend for the first time, how would you describe yourself? I am 54 years old, married. I have uh, five children, and it's interesting you you uh, talked about my all my additional children in my life. Um, I will say, kind of a side note here: when I was like probably middle school age, I I knew that I wanted to have five children, and then I got married. I had uh, had two biological children, but I have three stepchildren, and so I think it's so neat how you know, biologically, I could only have two, but I have five. And then since then have many um, adopted daughters added to the list. Um, I feel like I've been really blessed in that way. Um, My work is um, information systems, which I really enjoy. I'm, I'm blessed to have a job that I do enjoy. And I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I try to uh, focus every day on serving him. That's my, my goal. And I know that I do that. My marriage, my family, my job, and everything else will fall into place. Not be perfect, but um, you know, the rest will the rest will work out. So I think that I think that kind of sums it up. Um for a hobby, I will say I love to read. Um I I work out fairly regularly. I do enjoy that, but I probably love to sit and read <laughs> even more than I like to go out and uh, be physical and work out. Uh, I think that, I think that's the highlights. So um, I actually wasn't planning on uh, asking you this, but it just came to mind. When did you start getting interested in actually taking care of yourself and really, because like, I, I grew up kind of making fun of you for being a health nut and now I'm on the other end of it <laughs> and being like, wow, that's probably a really good idea. Um, so I've always known you as someone who keeps a bag of boiled chicken in her purse, just in case she needs a shot of protein, (laughs) but, um, like when, when did that start with you? The real, the significant time was in the late 1990s when I was, I don't know, I guess I was around 30 or early thirties, um, my sister, my oldest sister, um, had cancer. And through that, she started studying nutrition and really just started making me aware of um, of the, the need for that and taking care of our bodies. And unfortunately, she, she um, didn't live much longer than that, but she really planted a seed in my life because I started, uh, yeah, I just started studying and learning about taking care of myself and you know just the more I I love to learn so um, the more I learned and then the more I applied things so up to that point since I was nine years old I had severe sinus problems and I had I guess really figured out on my own that um, it was dietary because doctors couldn't find anything wrong Um, without going into the long story that essentially led into fibromyalgia for me, just different health issues and medication I was taking. 
but I had I had fibromyalgia, and in my let's see, a few years after that, nineteen ninety-seven, I, I will mention this: I was instantly and miraculously healed of that, and I really believe I would be dead if if God hadn't healed me because I was um, I was never going into deep sleep. My body was failing. My brain was even starting to shut down at times. And um, that was another thing that really boosted me of, okay, God healed me. And I started figuring out what I believe led to that severe health issue. And I wanted to, you know, do my part and, and not, um, how shall I say, not, I guess, take for granted what God did for me, but then to do what I could to just continue to be healthier and stronger. And I'm some 54. That was yeah, in my 30s. So I've been working on it. And it's a, it's a struggle just about every day. But it's a, it's a big goal for me to do what I can to um, take care of myself. That kind of goes along with what we were talking about earlier as far as, you know, that um, verse in Luke chapter 12 for uh, what much is, who, whatever, what is it? Much is given to whom much is given. To whom much, much is, is given, much is required. And if you were given, you know, the the opportunity to read, let alone be healed, you know, the the ability to research and and look into health and take advantage of, you know, finding things about nutrition and taking care of your body, the the temple that we were given, even though it is a, a temporary thing and. Paul, I think, calls it a, a tent. So it's not like it's the most important thing in the world, but I do think it's, um, I, I, I've come to really appreciate the importance of taking care of my body, but not, uh, not, not in a way of like vanity or glorifying myself with it, which I think you model really well and you always have. Well, I'm, I really do appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And one of the things that my sister stressed at that initial time of learning about this was that you know God is God is calling us to be um, what, what she what she said was um, like into battle, and so I, and that we should be be ready and be prepared. And I, I do think about a physical soldier and, and an army, and if you're not fit for um, that role, you're, there's not going to be a very strong army that they have to work with, you know, if the soldiers aren't trained and taken care of themselves. And in the, in the spirit realm, it's the, um, it's the same thing, really. Even like you said, the physical body is not the most important thing, but just as we live our daily lives, if we aren't, um, if we aren't up to par, so to speak, we don't have energy if we feel bad, if we have headaches and stomach aches and um, they're just, you know, anybody listening could probably start naming things that they struggle with. And when you are down with those things or even just your, your physical capacity, even your mental capacity isn't um, up, up to where it should be, then we're not physically able sometimes to do what we need to do that could be for doing something for our family or for ourselves or something that God's called us to do. And I know I've had experiences where I was struggling with something physically and I, I felt like I should, there's something I should have done, like maybe gone to visit somebody, but I just didn't feel up to it. 
and that happens. That's part of life, right? That there, you know, we get sick and those things are, are part of life. But if it's because we're not doing our part of taking care of ourselves, then just, you know, like you said, it's a responsibility that we have. And if we've been given a lot, we've, we should, we are required to um, take care of all aspects of, of who we are, our soul, our spirit, our body, our mind. And not just in a health health regard, but you've come a long way in a lot of different ways, even from childhood. And, you know, I, I know a lot of what you've shared with me, but I was wondering if you would start with um, kind of explaining really where you came from, from your childhood and, you know, up into where you are now and explaining the big things that happened in between. Yes. Um, so in my childhood, we were very poor. Um, I want to elaborate on that a little bit because a lot of people are poor, but um, th- this was a 19, I'd say the 1970s. Um, we didn't have running water. We had an outhouse to use for the bathroom. Um, there were 11 of us. So I have eight siblings. There were nine children, two parents. So 11 of us were in four small rooms. And actually the last, we lived there till I was 10. And the last few years of that, it was down to two rooms because the back two rooms had to be taken off. And that's another story. But nonetheless, there were 11 people in two rooms. I had an a abusive father, father who violent. Um, as a matter of fact, my first memory is of waking up in the middle of the night. And I had to have been no more than three because my mom was pregnant. So she would have been pregnant with my younger brother. And my father, they got in a fight. My father beat her, knocked her to the floor. She was big pregnant. She was crying. She couldn't get up. You know, she wanted him to help her up off the floor. And he walked out and left. Um, When I was 10 years old on Christmas day, I watched my father shoot my uncle in front of all of us kids. And the next thing that I would mention, um, when I was 13, I was sexually molested by a man in his forties. And, and then when I was about 16, I, I started partying. Um, it just started out as like fun teenager stuff. At least that's what I thought it was, you know, hanging out with my friends on the weekends and, um, it was just the beginning of a lot of bad decisions on my part. And so I fast forward to my life now, and I am just amazed at how blessed I am. And I think, God, I don't understand it. I'm glad and I'm so thankful, but I don't understand it because I, you know, I can look around and see this, this person who had, perhaps a similar life that I did or had a similar thing happen to them or made a similar bad decision. And they're just living in such a dark place. And I'm blessed. I'm, uh, financially, we are um, very comfortable. And my marriage is a strong marriage of 30 years as of a month ago. But the main thing that I am amazed at is the peace that I have in my life not perfect. I have 
struggles. Um, I'll, I'll confess that one of my struggles is anxiety. Um, I've, you know, I've had counseling. I do a lot of prayer. And um, anyway, so it's a struggle that it's, it's getting better for me. But um, it's, some of it is uh, I've learned recently that is rooted even in my childhood, just being in a very, uh, very high stress, high anxiety situation. Um, nonetheless, it's, it's probably a pretty good for what a lot of people struggle with anxiety, but, but I'm just saying, you know, I'm, I, I'm not saying that, oh, I live in this, um, wonderful land of, uh, delighted peace all the time, but, but I, I have a, I just have peace in my heart and my life and a, a freedom because of all these things that I've experienced, either that happened to me or that I have done. And I don't suffer from them. I don't lay awake at night thinking about them. And that in and of itself is amazing. Um, I've talked to other people who just can't comprehend that they can never be, um, I guess, free would be the best word, but they, they can never be free of the worry and the bad memories and all the negativity that goes along with something that happened to them. And that's when I love to convey my story and what God did for me, because you can be. And, but it's, it's only through um, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's the thing you've always, even through all this in your life, you've always gone to church, whether, and even if it wasn't consistently, and even if you didn't really get much out of it, it was more of a discipline at certain points in your life. Right. But you were still going and keeping that part of you, that part of your spirit alive. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I really think that even though I don't, I, I can't really explain um, how that came into play. I know that that's got to be um, a big part of what has kept me um, through those years because I, I may have already mentioned I got saved, accepted Jesus into my life when I was five years old. I still remember the moment where I was and it was, it, it was you know, so real Um and I never fully turned away from him. And so, yes, yeah, so I went to church, you know, not every week. I often didn't have to pay attention. Um, I, I, I will tell you, there were times I remember during probably high school years, going to church really hungover and maybe even still buzzed from drinking halfway through the night. Um but I still went and maybe it was just because that's what we did. But even when I went to college, I found a church nearby and went when I was, you know, off on my own. And maybe because I just grew up that that was the thing that I should do. And I did that. So I, you know, I was still getting um, messages. I was still getting the word in me. And I remember before I went away to college, an older friend of mine said, read your Bible every day. Even if it's one verse, open up your Bible and read just, just one verse, if, if nothing more. And I remember doing that. I'm sure I didn't do it every single day, but most days I did that. I don't remember anything significant from those times of, of things that I read. But, you know, the Bible is the word of God. It's truth. It's the only 
true truth. And I was getting that in me. And like I said, even though I didn't feel it, um, you know, can't tell you anything significant at the time about it. I was still getting that in me. And surely that was um, maybe keeping me more sensitive to God in my life and God speaking to me because he certainly was there with me during the times where I wasn't, I would say I wasn't serving him, uh, even though I hadn't lost my salvation, to use that phrase, I, I really wasn't serving him. And yet he was there with me. Um, it's just amazing to think about. And so I would definitely advise anybody that even if you don't feel like it and you don't understand, just do it. Go to church, find a church um, where they're you know preaching truth and read your Bible. So I'm wondering, I've, I've thought about this with you and my dad. Um, both of you had um, difficult parental situations. I'll, I'll just say that much. Um, I'm not going to get into it, but my dad was completely parentless. He didn't have his, he did, he raised himself pretty much all his life. Um, so he was truly fatherless, fatherless. And even though you knew, knew your father, he had significant issues obviously, and was abusive and not loving and, and not protective and not anything that a father should be. And, so I would consider you fatherless in that kind of way. And the Bible says that the, the father, the heavenly father takes, takes care of those who are fatherless, the widow. And I think there's a few other specific ones listed in that. Um, would you say that had, you know, something to do with, you know, how you were raised and how God like just never let you go, even though you feel like maybe in certain situations you should have been, you know, that that was part of the grace aspect of it. Yes. Yes. I would say that that had to have been um, a lot of it. He, he is a father to the fatherless and you're right. I didn't really have um, a father. He, he wasn't a father figure. Um, so yeah, God was with me through, through all of that. I just like found myself like figuring out how to like word the question like properly because I know a lot of the times when um, people talk about like what they go through, um, it can have like a bit of a negative light. And so people assume that like, oh, you're like deep in that feeling and that emotion and you're not really acknowledging God. So it's like, how do I ask this question and not seem like I want to focus and dwell on the hurt and not acknowledge him? But I was just kind of wondering, um, and some of the things that you had went through knowing that like you've known God from like, I want to say your probably most um, earliest cognitive memory, um, even while you went through those things, um, did you ever um, have like, I don't know if you had like questions or you wondered, because I know a lot of the times with like um, the things that I went through, um, I know my stepdad um, went through what he went through as well. So I won't uh, account his behavior to like just him being a terrible person. Everyone goes through things, but there were moments in time where I was a child and I felt like I didn't get a chance to like 
be a child, I had to uh, navigate those things. And I was wondering if when you were in those moments, did you ever kind of like try to figure out where you could find God in those situations, if that makes sense? Not when I was really young. I don't Mm. think I would have, I had those thoughts. Um, As I got older, I've been thinking about my teenage years and even through college when I was still had some pretty bad behaviors. I don't know that I, I, I guess what I did was I still prayed. I remember coming home one night. Um, this, this was high school, probably 11th or 12th grade. And I remember lying on the bed and I was, I was stoned. I don't know if I would I had smoked some pot or from drinking, but I remember lying on the bed and trying to pray and I could not pray. And I remember being so afraid. And I, I don't, I don't mean that like, um, oh, God's, God's so terrible and he's mean and, you know, he's keeping me from praying. But, you know, the scriptures say sin separates us from God, mm. that, that um, keeps us from him. Nothing else can, nothing can separate us from the love of God. But when we had, it was like that, it was just such, I don't, and I don't know if it was my guilt because he was with me. I, I know he said, he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. So he was with me. And so perhaps it was my guilt or just my mind was so, fuzzy from, uh, you know, things that I had, I put in my body. Um, but I do remember like knowing that I wanted to call out to him and just being so, so upset that I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I continued, you would think, wow, that should have been a real eye opener. And you turned your life around right that very night. <laughs> I didn't, I continued with the same behavior. Um, but I, I guess it was truly just a, another great blessing and his grace that that he never left me, but also that I always knew. I always, not always, but in you know, on an, an occasion, like oh, I want to pray. I know I want to pray, or you know, I want to I want to turn to him. And um, that's a that's you know, I I hope that and pray that for everybody would have that kind of drawing in their life. And you've mentioned to me, um, and I've met actually, uh, I think I've met both of them, the main mentors that God put in, put in your life. Um, I know you've mentioned Carol Crookshank was one of them. And then, um, Donna, right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Was there, was there anybody else? I was thinking there was another family. Actually, um, my oldest sister, Debbie, earlier in life was, um, you know, a huge influence. I've just idolized her until probably until my high school years when I started, I was getting older and realized she wasn't so perfect and um, kind of the roles kind of maybe flip-flop between big sister and little sister. And um, But yeah, Carol Crookshank was, I don't know if, if you know, you, you two and your listeners have heard of the program, Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Um, but when my mom finally divorced my father shortly after that incident, when I was 10 years old, um, then her divorce lawyer actually suggested that she get us kids in that program. And so Carol was my big sister through that program. And she was a believer. She was very education oriented. Um, Debbie, my oldest sister, was the first one who I remember from a very, very young age. She loved to teach me things. 
And that, that was a huge influence in my life because I knew I always knew from a young age, I wanted to go to college and, um, I will say that maybe as perhaps a side note, I was, I had everything stacked against me for that. You know, like I've already said, we were super poor. Um, fortunately, because of Debbie's influence on me from a young age, I was very academically oriented, excellent grades. And then Carol's influence, um, and she took me to visit colleges and, and just encouraged me in so many ways. And I, you know, ended up, I had scholarships, but I still put myself completely through school because you know, nobody in my family could help financially. And, um, you know, I, I, I kept that relationship with Carol as I got older and, you know, went off on my own life and got married and, um, you know, the relationship changed. I didn't see her as much, but we, we remained friends. And um, that I just, another huge blessing because I don't know, can't imagine and really don't want to imagine how different my life would have been without her in my life. And then Don and Ronnie Roberts were parents of a friend of mine in ninth grade. And I started spending a lot of time with them and um, they just, they, their home and their arms were always open to me. And I mean, I call them my adopted parents and they call me their adopted daughter. And, um, you know, they're, they're had a lot of um, blessings that they poured into my life. And a lot of it was times, times that I felt like I didn't have a place to go, that I didn't belong anywhere. I always knew that I was welcome with them. And so these people that God put in my life, I, I, I just still, it's one of those things that I just am amazed. Um, the other thing that it does for me is think about how I can then pour into other people's lives. And I, I want to do that. I want to bless other people. And I don't know how all I have done that or what yet God might have for me to do that. But it's, um, you know, it's just such an important thing that we do that, that we love on other people and reach out to them, no matter if they're a young college student or another adult or whomever it may be. As far as, as long as I can remember, you've always had um, a heart for helping other women, whether it's someone younger than you or your same age, just being there for other people. I even remember when I was younger, I remember you working in a women's care uh, facility. And um, I was wondering if you could share maybe some of your experiences with that, how you got involved in that and um, why your heart was set in that place. Yes, I, I would. Um, well, I started to say I would love to. <laughs> and actually today I can say I would love to. But in the past, I've struggled a lot to talk about that. Um, but when I was, so what you're talking about when I started volunteering in those places was in my probably early 20s, I guess, early to mid 20s. And um, really based on the beginning of that part of my life was when I was 20 years old, I made what was the worst decision ever in my life is that I chose to have an abortion. I will tell you, my situation was bad. I mean, a lot of people that are faced with that decision, it's difficult. And I was in college. 
um, getting ready to change schools. Um, the relationship that I was in was extremely unhealthy. Um, but I, I went to the school guidance counselor. And she just, just told her what was going on and I didn't know what to do. And she went over and picked up a pamphlet and came back and she said, I think you already know what you need to do. And she handed me a pamphlet for an abortion clinic. And, I, you know, I just think about the influence that people have on other people and what a sad, sad uh, commentary that a, a college guidance counselor doesn't talk to you about really about choice. You know, there's a lot in society today about choice. Women should have this freedom of choice. But I can tell you firsthand, and not just my own experience, but I have I have talked to literally more than a hundred girls and women who have been in similar situations. And without fail, if they're if they're fate if they're going into the world, so to speak, um, you know, a worldly counselor or a clinic, they are not being, um, they're not given information on choices. They are giving information on abortion. Um, I remember um, one person that I, um, jumping ahead a little bit, but I spent time volunteering later at, at a crisis pregnancy center, as you were talking about. And I remember this one girl came in and she said, she had no intention to get an abortion, but she had gone to this um, Planned Parenthood facility, and all they did was talk, try to talk her into having an abortion. She didn't even want one. I mean, she just went there to get a test to make sure that she was pregnant. And uh, multiple uh, examples of that that I've run across over the years. And so in my case, I went to that Planned Parenthood clinic. I, so I, I must've asked for counseling and I sat down in this room with two very nice ladies. And I said, I'm not sure that I should do this. Cause I think maybe it's murder. And this woman looked at me and she goes, Oh, come on, Lisa. Do you really think it's like taking a baby and stabbing it? And you know, I'm like, well, no, I guess not. I mean, what manipulation that was. And again, I'm telling you this, this was my firsthand experience and has been repeated over and over by many people I've talked to directly. And so it's very frustrating to me when I hear people talk about choice and, um, you know, it's for women, it's this freedom for women. I can tell you there is no freedom in it. It is one of the most destructive things that a woman can go through. Um, I think as a Christian society, uh, you know, the Christian community, I should say, so many times, too many times, we judge that woman. Well, I, I know that women are usually in that case, they're victimized because it's just like in my situation. Nobody talked to me about choices, all the different options. And it wasn't until I got involved with Crisis Pregnancy Center to learn that there are a lot of options out there other than abortion, a lot more healthy options, certainly for the baby, because the baby gets to live, but for the woman who can then live with herself. I, I don't know the statistics right off the top of my head, but by far, most women who, who go through that just go downhill in all kinds of ways, or they live in denial. Um, I've known women who 
are huge activists for, uh, you know, pro-abortion rights, they call it. And then, then I learn more and find out they're, they're in a mindset of either in denial of what they had done because they had an abortion or they're trying to justify it. And, but still, these women are, I, I have a lot of compassion for them because they don't know what I know. And it's another one of those things that is amazing, amazing what God did for me. I do want to say, as I thought about the timing of this podcast and talking about this this weekend, that this weekend was my due date. And so this very likely could have been the birthday of my child had I kept her. Um, so, so to elaborate on what God did for me, I had a headache after I did that. I had a headache constantly. And when I say constantly, every waking moment and throughout the night, if I would wake up, I had a headache for a year. So I had a very, I don't know if that was stress or if that was truly a physical manifestation of an abortion. So a lot of people have worse consequences. Some people don't have, you know, physical ramifications from it. Um, and I, I said earlier, one of my difficult decisions was I was, I was away at college. I was getting ready to change colleges because of my degree. I needed to do that. And my roommate um, that next year, um, at one point, was afraid she was pregnant. So I went with her, and where she chose to go was, thank God, a crisis pregnancy center. And through that evening of being there, I, I um, mentioned to this lady, this volunteer there, that I had an abortion, and I was crying and realizing, that I just realized that evening that I needed help. And I got involved in... Um, it's, it's really a, um, you know, the post-traumatic syndrome, post-traumatic stress syndrome that people can experience from a variety of stressful situations, you know, certainly war and different things that people can uh, experience that from, um, that, that truly applies to abortion. And so I got involved in a, um, in a program with them to work through issues. I had to forgive myself. I had to ask God's forgiveness. I had to forgive myself. And I had to forgive um, the man, the father of that baby. And um, I had to forgive that counselor. There was a, and that was just one of the things was forgiveness to work through. And it, it was a healing process for me emotionally, psychologically, and definitely spiritually. I went through healing and I'm just so grateful that I am healed from that. Um, a few years later, I was, um, I was actually in another state working. I was out of college and I was volunteering. And it was one of these um, programs for um, helping women to recover from that post, you know, post-traumatic um, stress syndrome from abortion. And there was this lady who had had an abortion 20 years earlier. And when she started learning that she could be free, live in freedom, and not be just consumed with the guilt and the, the horrible realization of what you've done, 
she just broke down and she said, why 20 years? I don't understand why God wouldn't have caused me to learn this a long time ago. And I just, my heart broke for her because she had suffered with this before she found healing and freedom for 20 years. And it just made me all the more astounded that God would just a year later put me in a place to receive that healing and that freedom that I know I didn't deserve. Because I will tell you, when I was a teenager, I had an older relative who had had an abortion. And she shared with me that she did. And she said, if you ever know anybody who's thinking about it, please talk them out of it. It's terrible. It's terrible. And so I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that. You know, and I would never do that. And here I was just a handful of years later. And I did something that I knew, had told myself I would never do. And yet you're in that situation and you make a very bad decision. That again, I want to reiterate, is one of the worst things that you can do to a woman. Yet I'm so grateful, so grateful to God that there is help and healing and you don't have to live um, in suffering for that or, or any other bad decision that we've made. I think we deal with guilt and maybe Christians are even worse about it. Maybe just certain Christians, maybe it's just me um, who've had to really work with managing guilt properly. Um, and not letting it thrive in our lives. Um, but, you know, when you know when you know that you don't do something, you shouldn't do something and that it's wrong and you do it anyway, then even the guilt is harder, uh, a bigger thing to deal with. So I'm just this amazed at God's goodness to me. Can you expand a little bit more on this idea of freedom and not feeling the suffering through the guilt of making certain decisions because, um, you know, we do know from the Bible that that freedom, uh, any kind of salvation starts with repentance and turning away. Um, but the Bible also says there's a repentance that leads to death and there's a repentance that leads to life. And, um, I think, you know, I'm not a pastor or anything. I don't, know all the ins and outs of that, but to me, uh, to my understanding, what that means by repentance that leads to death is like living in guilt for 20 years, you know, suffering under that and feeling like the weight of the death of your decisions after all that time and not experiencing freedom from it. But freedom also isn't, you know, embracing your bad decisions or making friends with the demons, you know, and frolicking, just knowing, you know, just being okay with all the things that are wrong too. So, um, can you talk a little bit about like the truth and the grace that comes with that kind of freedom? Well, you say truth and grace, I'll, I'll confess that's, uh, that's a balance that I'm still learning. Um, I've, I've always leaned, um, too much to the grace side and, you know, I didn't want to hurt somebody's feelings or I didn't want to offend anybody or I didn't want them to be upset with me. And so I struggled with the, the truth side. So I, I will say, I just think that's a, a real, uh, balance for Christians, um, because there's, there's, um, harm in too much of only one side and not the other. 
Um, but the, the truth part is you, you need to acknowledge your sin. Even if you were a victim, that you made a bad decision, yes, we, there's explanation. And in my case, you know, you can take it back to the childhood that I grew up with, not having a, a loving father in the home, um, being molested. That's, you know, so many ramifications of, um, on people for that and, and so many effects. Um, and so, you know, likely those are the things that that's perhaps the, the truth of um, that uh, maybe influences that led me to, you know, to some, have some bad, a lot of bad behaviors and make bad decisions. Um, I, I will tell you, I had really low self-esteem, um, horrible. And that was, again, part of something that led to uh, wanting, I wouldn't say necessarily wanting attention from a man, but wanting acceptance from from a guy and um so so sad i want to throw in there too that my mom who didn't do devotions at home you know she was not a happy person as you can imagine with a husband like that and nine kids and that living in that kind of situation but she took us to church and she worked hard after they got divorced, she she worked and worked and worked. She never got on government assistance. She worked if it meant three part time uh, three part time minimum wage jobs. And you know, later in life, she would say, "Oh, I just I should have been a better mother." And I, I said to her multiple times, "Mom, you did the two best things that I think you could have done for us. You took us to church, and you worked hard. You set that example for us, and took care of us." So I'm saying, I guess I'm saying that to talk about the importance as a parent of doing the right thing for our kids. And even if it's just the taking them to church when you don't feel like it, um, you know, encouraging them in the right things that what that does and how that gets us through. Um, but so back to the truth of when we do end up making those bad decisions. So that part of that truth is we have to acknowledge that what we've done was wrong and that it was sin. And God is faithful and just that if we confess our sins, um, that he will forgive us from all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. And so we have to confess that. And I yeah, just want to say, again, you don't have to feel it. You don't have to have you know feeling and emotion behind it. You just need to do it. And so you confess your sin when you acknowledge the truth of it. And, uh, and sometimes we may have to help other people understand that what they've done, you know, this, this, whatever is, was wrong. It was a sin. It was a bad choice, a wrong choice. Um, the grace side is of course, the basics of it is God loves you and he wants to forgive you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And in, in my cases and all these things over my life, over my lifetime, um, I, and sometimes I needed help just like with the um the program the post-abortion program to learn that i needed to forgive myself i needed to ask god for forgiveness and um i didn't necessarily have to sometimes you know god will show you to go ask somebody else for forgiveness or you just in your mind know that it's the right thing to do that's not always necessary to go to somebody directly but in our hearts you know because unforgiveness is a terribly powerful thing in our lives a negative powerful thing um, that we need to 
um, you know, in our heart, forgive people. Um, but, you know, the part of God's grace is that he will show us that and that he forgives us. And the healing part of the grace. And, and we have to, I guess, to, to simplify, stick with him. One of my, uh, I was recently in a group and they, somebody said, well, what's your favorite scripture? And I thought, well, you know, I've never really thought about one favorite, but my mind kept landing on, um, that's probably the King James version that I've memorized. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on him. Meaning God will keep you in perfect peace when you are focused on him. And sometimes we have to just keep bringing our focus back to him because the enemy of our soul wants our focus to be on uh, something somebody did to us, or maybe we've already forgiven somebody, but that hurt will, will want to rise back up when we just turn our eyes back to Jesus. And, and like I've said before, you don't have to feel it. You just have to start thinking about Jesus and to try to try to keep your focus on him. And that is beautiful grace. I do have one other thing I'd like to share if we of course, have time. Please. Okay. So I mentioned that my oldest sister Debbie died. Um, she was only 40 years old. I was 32. Um, my mother died at I mean, she was in her 60s you know, still, it doesn't seem so young when, when we're young, but, um, you know, when you're losing your mom, that's, it's, it's never, um, a good time, obviously. And then my sister, Sandy, my other sister, just, um, see four years ago, next month will be four years, had cancer and died. She, she was my only, you know, female relative close left. And we were best friends. We talked every single day. Often it was through emails or text, but um, she was she was my best friend. And even though I had already lost one sister and a mother, I was surprised that that was so hard on me. It was the hardest out of everybody I had lost so far. And the thing that I wanted to share about that is... Um, I guess the the the, um, the struggle of loss because most people have experienced it, and if they haven't, they will at some point. Somebody you know is going to die, and I know when my mom died, when when she was dying, um, I, and this might sound really crass to some people, but I just had this thought: everybody dies, and I had to keep telling myself, okay. Everybody dies. Now, this is just the, the turn for my mom to die. And, you know, 100 years from now, none of us are going to be here. We're all going to be dead. And again, that, that sounds, it may sound really harsh, but it is, it's a reality. The other reality is if we have Jesus, if we're a believer, a follower of Jesus, we don't have death. I mean, we, our physical bodies do, but that's not, that's not what's lasting. And so I knew with my mom that she was in heaven. And my mom had had a lot of physical problems for a long time. She didn't have a happy life. And so when she was gone from this earth, I had this amazing, and then I just won't even get into the the ways that God showed me and how he blessed me by letting me know that 
my mom was happy. And I knew if you're in heaven, you're happy. But when he gave me dreams to show me her joy and her happiness, I was just amazed at that because, wow, how can I be sad that my mom's now finally happy and not in any pain and not sick? But with Sandy, um, that was tough for me. And um, I'd say the things that I would, that I would, the highlights that I would want to share about that situation was, um, you know, she, I was her encourager through that with faith and believing with her that God was going to heal her because she had cancer. She chose to not do chemotherapy and she prayed about that. And I had a lot of respect for her for that, being confident that that was the route she was supposed to take. And God gave me a faith. It, 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 there was no other explanation for it. I had complete faith that she was going to be healed. I, I, I got to go and be there the last few days and be in that room with her. And she was in bad, bad physical state. But I leaned down in her face and I spoke the word over her and confident that even in that bad state, God was going to raise her up. And then she died. And I, I mean, I, I truly could not believe it. I had to, you know, we all left the room and the, the funeral home was there. And I, so a little bit of time had gone by and I went back in and I stood there and looked at her because I had to be convinced. I had so much faith that she was going to be healed that I had to look again to see for myself, to convince my brain that she was gone. I just, I, I, I didn't even start questioning God at that point. I just like, it went from like complete faith she was going to be raised up to that she was gone from this earth. Um, and I had in my mind then kind of speculated why I think God took her. A year later, God showed me why. And I, I won't say it because it was very, very personal to her life, what God saved her from. And so, you know, another huge blessing that God would do that for me. And I don't know why, because I could live the rest of my life just being, um, I wouldn't say upset. And, and I will say that I struggled with being mad at God. I was really disappointed you know there's a song we we sung in church at the time that says you will never you will never let me down god you will never let me down and i remember standing there in that church in church they would it was a popular song at the time anyway and it was sung a lot and multiple times i almost walked out when that came on because i thought yes you did god you let me down you you disappointed me and so like i said a year later god was so because because I let that go. I, I, I believe if I wouldn't have let that go or focus, focusing on um, being disappointed in God, I would have, my spirit would have never been opened to hear him when he spoke to me about why he took her. And I still remember where I was standing. And in that moment, it was just this, I don't know, like a, well, I guess like a, the best I could describe it as like a weight falling completely off of me a shell maybe falling, breaking and falling off. And he didn't have to do that for me. But again, I don't think 
I do believe I would not have been in a place to be able to hear him and receive him had I not let go of that disappointment. So I got, it was no great feeling to it or anything, but I finally, because I just kept serving him. And even though I felt numb, I said, okay, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. I'm going to choose to trust you, even though I don't understand this. And I'd, I'd say that many, many, many times over that first year. I don't understand that, God, I trust you because even though I don't feel it in my heart, I don't understand it in my head, I know that you're God. I know who you are. I know your word is true. And I know that you do what's right. I mean, you're God and you know better than I do. So those things that I knew from his word and from years of, um, you know, just hearing his word and knowing him, having a relationship with him. I could base my decision on that. And therefore then he graciously showed me then why he took her. And frankly, it had nothing to do with me. (laughs) You know, really how selfish I was. I was upset and I was whole, you know, disappointed with God. And it came down to, it had nothing to do with me. And the other thing that happened to me was just, just a few weeks ago, I was actually sharing with a um, a small group um, that the part about having that faith, and to this day, I didn't understand. That day, I didn't understand why God gave me the faith for her to be healed, and then she wasn't. And some people will say, "Oh, well, she had that ultimate healing," you know, as the old song goes. That's not what He gave me faith for. He gave me faith to pray for her to be raised up in this physical from that physical state. And I shared, I was just sharing that as part of something else that we were talking about that night in that small group. The next day, God showed me why he gave me that faith. And I'm just amazed still at how good he is to me because I've gotten over it. You know, I don't hold that against him. And it was so, so simple. I hope I can explain it. He showed me that he gave me that faith. That was for me because I would have doubted, did she not be raised up because I didn't have enough faith? Was she not healed because I really had some doubts and I didn't have full faith? I don't know if that's making sense or not, but he gave me faith so that I could be confident that I did pray in faith for her. Does that make sense? Yeah. Just like you didn't walk away with any, maybe regrets isn't the right word, but something along those lines. Right. Right. I just, you know, so something that I questioned him, God, why would you do that? Why would you do that to me? Give me that faith and you were going to take her, not heal her. And think that he did it for me. So what would you say to someone who's kind of in that place right now where they're disappointed or mad at God and they can't really see past that right now? Uh, I, I would, I guess I would just have to say to them, what my experience was, which was just 
um, choose, make the choice. Because, you know, all these things, our feelings um, t- are tied so much into our choices. You know, you can choose to feel despondent. You can choose to dwell on that negative thing or the experience or the feeling. You can choose to hold on to unforgiveness. All of those things will grow. And they're only going to grow into to feelings and states of mind that just put you in a worse place. Or you can choose to forgive. And I, I, I hope that I stressed these things usually are not the, the right feelings don't go along with them often. You know, you forgive. It's a choice. And sometimes I have to forgive multiple times because that the thought keeps coming up and maybe it's not, maybe it's not that I haven't already forgiven, but I have to remind myself that I've already forgiven because the enemy wants to remind us of those bad things of something somebody did to us or something that we did or, um, you know, something somebody said to us. And so what do we choose to dwell on? So we can choose to dwell on the disappointment. Um, I say, make your mind dwell on who God is, even though you probably don't feel like it. Try to ignore the negative thoughts, the disappointments, the let down feeling that you have. But Go back to that scripture that I love. It, he will keep us in perfect peace when our, our minds are focused on him. Therefore, we're not going to have peace when we're focused on all those negative things. And frankly, even when we're focused on worldly things and you know all these other things in our lives, those aren't bad to think about, but that's not where perfect peace is found. And it's it's a choice. You just I I, I highly recommend that. Say, okay, I choose to do this. I choose to trust God. I choose to believe that he is working in this and working in my life. And along with that, wait. Because like I said in that last situation that I shared with my sister, it was four years. It's been four years before he showed me why he gave me that faith. And it was even a year before he graciously showed me why he took her anyway. And so part of it's just waiting. So almost like throwing up your hands. God, I don't understand it, but I'm just going to wait and I'm going to trust you, even though I don't feel like it. Um, and to not give up, you know, pay attention to where your focus is. And, and just sometimes it is work. You have to work at keeping your focus off of the the, the bad thing. To simplify, the, the negative thing. Um, whether again it's something from your past, um, it might be you know a healing. Uh, it's a, often it's a process, but part of that process is is critical to have your focus being on the positive things. And you know I. I Usually don't like the term positive thoughts, but they are important. Sometimes it is that simple is to make yourself think on something positive. And of course, ultimately that's um, thinking on Jesus. Like, I mean, maybe positive thoughts isn't in the Bible uh, word for word, but there is a scripture that says, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is pure, think on these things. 
Yes. Yep. That's right. And that is, well, yeah, you're right. That is uh, certainly from the Bible that it's, um, that is positive, what the world might just call positive thoughts. You know, it's not just some uh, fluffy thing. It's only going to get you so far, right? If you just think on positive things, the sun shining, but still those things are helpful because that is good and pure and lovely. And um, God does tell us to do that. I I will tell you that has been a very uh, significant scripture for me in my marriage. Um, and I, I, I think that it could be applied to any relationship. Um, if you focus on maybe it's you with your parent or with a sibling or with a friend or a boss at work, you can focus on the negative things or you can focus on, you know, what you just said, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, those positive things. And you're going to be directed in a different way than if you focus on negativity. So in my marriage, I found myself on and off over the years, really, really the struggle has been dwelling on the offensive thing that my husband said to me or the thing that he did that really made me angry, um, really hurt my feelings. And God has had to bring me back to that scripture. And I will confess that I haven't remembered it frequently enough. I've lived too much of my 30 years of marriage, not in a place of peace in my marriage and not in a healthy place because I focus so much on um, the bad. When there, when there's certainly been a lot of good and still is a lot of good. And frankly, the more I focus on the good, the more good I see. That's a simple concept, but it's so true. Funny how that works. <laughs> it really is. I'm in, in my life, and when I do that, I also feel like it matures me too, which is another plus. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay, so to wrap up here, uh, you mentioned to me we usually like to leave a resource for our listeners at the end um, to, you know, if they're really interested in this episode and really resonated with what we talked about and um, maybe we're edified in some way and want to go deeper. We try to leave something uh, tangible that they can um, go further with. And you mentioned that you wanted to uh, offer something to our listeners as a resource. I would love to do that. Um, If you could post my email address and I will just say it, it's lisadavis1220 at gmail.com. That's L-I-S-A-D-A-V-I-S-1220 at gmail.com. I think that would be the, the best way to reach out to me. I would love to talk with anybody who, who's interested. Um, you know, maybe I, I could just listen to whatever someone might have to say. And, and maybe if you just need to vent your anger or disappointment at a person or at God, I would gladly listen. Um, or if you didn't, you know, think that, you need some uh, some counsel, um, and we can just start with email, and that could be how we could connect, you know, with phone numbers or or whatever from there on. But that would be the I think that would be the best way, and I would love to um, to hear from anybody who would like to reach out. Well, I think that's a perfect way to end this this conversation. And again. Thank you for being here with us and taking the time and sharing everything and going so deep into everything. Um, I know 
I have been very blessed to be your daughter and um, to know you and be raised by you. You've always inspired me to be more uh, hardworking and academically oriented and uh, practically perfect in every way, just like my mother. Um, (laughs) Humble. I see I really taught you humility too. (laughs) No, that's from my dad. Um, um, but yeah, I just wanted to thank you again. Well, thank you ladies so much for having me and giving me this opportunity to, uh, to share. Of course. I appreciated listening to you talk. It's like a mindset that I've always like wanted to have on a lot of things that I've been through in life and just like seeing you emulate that and like you going deeper into, um, how you've gotten through these processes, I think is very encouraging and inspiring. And I'm just grateful to know you and um, continue to know you. Thank you, my dear. I appreciate hearing that. Hey, you're precious. You girls are precious to me. Well, as a listener, if you're still hanging with us, thank you so much for being here. And um, we hope this edified you, encouraged you just like it did us. And I will post that email again in the description box of this uh, of this episode. And please feel reach out, feel free to reach out to my mother who has a lot of experience counseling women in these certain situations. And if you need someone to talk to, trust me, she's the one. So thank you. We hope you were blessed. And until next time, God bless. Yes. Take care. (laughs) Take care now.